Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Monday, September 18th, the Climate Anxiety Edition. I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch Dutch Goose. I'm the mom of three littles, Henry, who's 11, Oliver, who's nine, and Teddy, who's six. We live in Tokyo, Japan. I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, and mom to Naima, who's 10, and we live in Los Angeles. I'm Zach Rosen. I make another podcast. It's called The Best Advice Show, and I am dad to Noah, who's six, and Ami, who's three. We live in Detroit, Michigan. Well, on today's show, we are joined by Anya Kamenetz. She's an author and a journalist who specializes in climate justice across generations. With her expertise, we'll be diving into a conversation about kids and climate change, and we'll top it all off with some practical advice to answer your questions about this often overwhelming issue. And before we go, we will do a round of recommendations. All of this after a quick break. We're back and now joined by Anya Kamenetz. Anya is a former NPR correspondent, and she's currently an advisor for the Aspen Institute. She's also written a lot about the generational trauma this world inflicts on kids, as she did in her most recent book, Stolen Gear, How COVID Changed Children's Lives and Where We Go Now, and in her newsletter, The Golden Hour. We've brought Anya on the show today to address a topic we get a lot of questions about, how to talk to kids about climate change. We'll address a question that a listener sent in in a few minutes, but first, we want to set the stage here. Anya, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So we kind of wanted to start by defining a term that will definitely come up in this conversation. In previous interviews, you've talked about climate grief. Can you explain what this is and how it impacts both adults and children? Absolutely. So, you know, climate grief is one of many different climate emotions. And I usually define it to people as the feeling that you get when you see a a certain item on the news. There's so many right now that it's actually really hard to pick. But um, the feeling of loss, the feeling of anticipatory loss, um, not knowing, you know, whether perhaps a beloved beach that you visited as a child is going to still be there. um, These are all feelings that we bring under the heading of climate grief. There's an interview you did where you describe a moment at a get-together you were attending and you came clean to someone about your climate grief and the woman you were talking about admitted that she has similar feelings. Are you finding these conversations to be more out in the open? Because in um, your writing on climate grief, you talk about this is something that people don't often discuss. And so it's, you know, it's not something that's generally diagnosed. We don't talk a lot about it. But do you feel like the conversation is starting to spread? I really do because, you know, honestly, you know, it it has not been far from the headlines, um, especially this summer. I mean, literally, this is the hottest summer that there's ever been. Um, And so what has been weird about climate emotions up to this point is there's been a lot of, um, you know, pluralistic ignorance, which is like, if someone else is not treating something as an emergency, you also don't treat it as an emergency, even if you're literally your neighborhood's filling up with smoke like it did in June in New York City. Um, but once you start talking about it, and I found since I started talking about it, there is just this gush of feelings that happen and people feel honestly better because anything that you talk about and share with someone else is better than not sharing it. And, you know, climate change is one of those few things that's happening literally to every single person in the world. It's not something that any of us needs to go through alone. What are the sorts of images your kids are bringing back to you, um, you know, associated with their climate grief? 
So uh, my kids are uh, 11 and 6, and I would have to say that we've we've done a lot of more processing around this, um, and this is kind of, I changed my whole life and career around because of this, but when my older daughter was 7 years old, um, I was just washing dishes in the kitchen, and she turned to me really casually and said, you're lucky that you got to grow up and be an adult before mm. the world exploded. Mm. That's devastating. Yeah. I think a lot of the questions that people write into us about climate change is this idea that they want to convey the seriousness of it to their children. They, mm-hmm. they're they worried about it, right? But also as parents, we don't want to overwhelm our kids and have them live out their time in despair and anxiety. Yeah. So like, how can we balance those two things? Do you, do you have any thoughts? I mean, clearly your child came to you and was sort of like asking you for that, right? When When she says like, I'm glad that you got to grow up how do you answer in a way that's honest, but also, I think, protective as a parent? Yeah, I, I mean, this is this is really the core question. And I, I think it's such an important and moving one because it's our love and our concern for our kids that I think ultimately is going to lead people to take the right kind of actions on climate change. Because, you know, the answer is not just something that you say to your kids. It has to be also something that you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Um And, uh, you know, just to let that sink in a little bit more, you know, when my daughter said that to me, um, she actually had a misconception. Like, she thought that the planet was going to explode, Mm -hmm. right? So (laughs) that was something I was able to actually debunk, you know, and say, that's not literally what's happening. Um, I I know where you got that idea. But um, when we talk to our kids about climate change, we obviously, like any other topic, like race, like sex and consent, even like death, right? Even death itself. These are topics that we... First of all, we need to do our own processing of our own feelings about it. We can't come to our kids as a total wreck. We have to be able to talk to our friends and talk to a therapist if that's important to you. Once you've done that and then you're talking to your kids, we want to give them the right amount of information. And a lot of times, you know, they're getting information mainly from the media, right? So a very recent survey um, of 1,300 youth, 14 to 25-year-olds, found 68% are experiencing mental health um negative impacts as a result of hearing about climate change. And primarily they're hearing about it on the news, right? So we need to be able to cushion that information and give it the right kind of context, um, which is to say that, you know, we need to talk to them about the progress that's being made on climate change. We need to talk to them about what's in the Inflation Reduction Act and why there's been, you know, this huge uh, growth in clean energy and actually the uh, projections of global warming have gone down in the last five, 10 years because of the amount of effort that's happening. It's still not enough, but they need to see what's going on out there. But then the next step is you have to talk about the actions that you're taking as a family, right? Um, and our kids need to be part of those actions. Yeah. What kind of stuff are you and your family working on right now, action-wise? I mean, it's been on a lot of different levels. Um, both my husband and I, first of all, this is really big, but we both changed our careers around a little bit um, to focus more on climate change. Um, I'm doing this advocacy work alongside reporting work and talking about climate change. I think that relieves them a lot because they understand that it's not up to the kids to fix. Um, as a family, we've done things around the house to decarbonize, to you know get rid of our gas stove, to compost. Um, we've started to invest some of our, um, you know, lucky enough to have some extra resources to invest in a um, agriculture project upstate. Um, And then, you know, activism. So it's things that I can get them involved in um, going to the climate change march that's happening in New York City, um, going to call uh, elected officials, getting involved on the local level. There's lots of different kinds of climate actions happening, um, you know, in, in our neighborhood in Brooklyn all the time. So 
you know, even just picking up trash in the park, like there are big and little things that can be very concrete that even very small kids can get engaged in. What have you noticed about how your kids are having the climate conversation with their friends? Are they having the conversation with their friends? I think that's a really interesting question. I think um, with my older child who's in seventh grade, you know, the the conversations are more engaged with what's happening on the news, with politics. Um, and they, they sort of glance by it. I find that in that age group, you know, there's a lot of sort of gallows humor or acting tough or acting cool around this stuff. And, and so it's become very commonplace for kids that age to say, like, we're all doomed. Um, and uh, that's not necessarily the healthiest way of attacking it, but, you know, they're processing it in the way that they can. Um, I think for my younger child, um, and and this is also going along with research that I've heard, you know, kids are getting all kinds of messages about the negative impact that they and that humans are having on the planet. So, you know, what we can do to counter that and, and the ways that kids can get engaged in helping nature, taking care of nature, um, those are things that my my younger daughter really loves to do with her friends. I mean, she loves to be in the park. She loves to see what's going on with bugs and in the garden. And so those are ways that kind of positive climate messages can come into their play. You're talking about these positive ways that kids can can be in nature. Can we talk more about maybe breaking up the ages and age-appropriate positive steps that kids can take? And if we can break it up, like, you know, what can little ones do? Then what can our kind of elementary kids do? And then what can we be encouraging our teens to do? Absolutely. So I, I, first of all, when we talk about action, um, there's some really good research specifically with children about coping with climate emotions um, by Maria Ohala. And she talks about three kinds of coping and they all need to happen at the same time. So emotion-focused coping is the basic building blocks of emotional literacy. Like if your child is sobbing on the floor crying about you know, the the whales. That's not the time to be like, let's go make a protest. You know, you you need to be there with them in that feeling and to honor that and respect that because um, they're entitled to their feelings. And all the building blocks that we use, and I'm sure you talk about it on the show all the time about how we deal with emotions. The problem-focused coping is the stuff that we do to try to help, okay? Right. And, I'll, and I'll talk about that at different age groups. The meaning-focused coping is where you lean into the messages that say, there are so many people working on this problem. There are literally millions of people around the world joining hands to work on this problem. There are smart scientists and engineers. There are people we can look up to. There are activists. This is not for you to fix by yourself. And I never want you, my child, to feel like it's your thing to fix because we're all in this together. And that's such an important message to lean into. When we start talking about positive actions, let's start with the really little ones, right? If you've ever been in a Montessori classroom, they talk about care of self and care of environment, right? Very little things that we do. We turn the faucet off when we're brushing our teeth, right? We maybe pick up a little worm that's come up on the sidewalk when it's raining and we move it to safety, right? We, we take care of the living things around us. We make sure that our cats and dogs have water when it's hot outside. You can water a tree when it's hot outside. So you can make you can extend that care to, to living creatures that are plants. So these are the types of things we do with the really little ones. And just being out in nature and enjoying and, and noticing the things in nature is a huge thing for that age group. Elementary school they have so many questions, right? They have questions about physics. They have questions about geography, questions about weather patterns, watching storms. So these are all things that we can indulge and we can answer their questions. Um, we can help with them um, get engaged in communicating with elected officials. They can leave voicemails. They can draw pictures. We did an activity at my daughter's field day um, in elementary school where they drew pictures of their dreams for a clean, green New York City, and they sent them to elected officials. So, And that also sends the message for 
this is for decision makers to solve. Like this is, we're making our voices heard so that they will fix it, right? And then obviously picking up things around you, picking up trash, reducing waste. So you could talk about like, can we have less plastic at our birthday party? What can we do to make sure that we don't have trash? You know, can we encourage our friends to have reusable cups at the barbecue? Like, so thinking about reducing plastic waste, that's another one that kids can get very engaged in. And this is something teachers do, right? It's like noticing the questions that your kids have and moving that into positive action. Um, I think that's that's always like a nice thing to do. With older teenagers, they tend to be very interested in the intersections between justice and climate change. So you know, a lot of Gen Z activists and a lot of teenagers are really interested in basically frontline communities, the relationship between various um, types of groups and um, oppression and climate climate change. So, you know, thinking about that and thinking about how they can get empowered to take action and really identify the enemies, you know, like there are there are bad guys, there are fossil fuel companies, and there are politicians that are corrupt and people that are causing this to happen and sort of galvanizing people against that kind of force. It's something that really draws on the innate <laughs> tendency of teenagers to fight the power. I'm really inspired, Anya, by the modeling you've been doing with the conversations you're having with your family, but also with your career that you, you've you pivoted in, in such a way. Um, I'm curious, like, psychically, emotionally, how you're feeling now that you've actually been like, I'm going to, like, really change my path. I'm going to step away from NPR. I'm going to do this other thing. What has that done to you? It's been awesome. I really recommend it. I think everyone should do it. (laughs) I mean, and whatever the thing is that you care about that much. But honestly, Mm -hmm. I've had so many conversations. I would have to say every week or every two weeks, I get a call or from a friend of a friend who's climate curious, who wants to understand the intersections between their career and the climate crisis, cartoonists, you know, lawyers, tech people, and and just waking people getting woken up to these intersections because the climate crisis takes everybody, right? It takes everybody's skills and everybody's solutions, everybody's networks. And so, yeah, it's been amazing. For my own mental health, it's been amazing. And even just for the point that at least once a day in a work meeting, I get to be like, fuck, I am so upset about this. And someone else is like, I am too. And this is a safe space to talk about it. And we mm. don't have to pretend mm. like... We're, we care more about something else that's happening other than this. Talk to us about some of the young people that are taking powerful action. I get to come across and work with so many inspiring climate activists. Um, there is a, a young man named Shiva Ravdanjari, and he was elected to his school board in Idaho um, to fight for climate change and to decarbonize his school system in a place where it's a very red state, but he's making the case based on energy costs. There's a, a young person named McKenna Dunbar who's both a college student and works for Sierra Club and is a patent holder on like various kinds of um, clean energy. They work for environmental justice um, in rural Virginia. I mean, it's amazing what the kids are doing. They're, they're no holds barred out there and they have so many different skills and they're just really, really focused on making the planet better. And we're just, I mean, we're just out here saying like we have to help them and give them a voice because this really belongs to them. Anya, we have a question from a listener that we're hoping that you'll help us with. Yeah. I have two children, a three and a half year old and a seventh month old. I have deep fears about climate change, and I often think about the extreme challenge that my children will face. Sometimes I feel guilty for having brought children into a world with such an uncertain future. My husband and I decided to have children because we believe that life can be wonderful even when it is difficult. I think that it's important to be hopeful and take action in the face of challenge, and I want to convey that to my kids. But how, when, when? you know, should I talk to my children about climate change? 
Wow. My heart really goes out to this parent. And I, I mean, we've we've all been there. I think anybody who has kids in 2023 is asking these questions. Um, and I think what I just want to say is I want to give them permission to have the feelings that they're having. And it's really not about the words that you're going to tell your kid. It really is about what they're going to observe about your life and the way that you move through the world, you know, and and this is very similar to advice that I got as a white mother during, you know, the, the Black Lives Matter movement beginnings where it was like, well, what do you say to your kid about race? And it's like, it's actually not what you say to your kid about race. It's about the neighborhood that you live in, the friends that you have and the convictions that you show and, and even the books that you buy them and the toys that you buy them. And it's about a life of choices that you make and no words are ever going to be the exact right perfect words to counter any of those things. And so I believe it's the same thing for climate. I mean, I hope that this person, as they grow in their path as a parent, uses these feelings and turns them into conviction and into actions that their child, children can can share with them in and, and take joy and take hope in that. Do you have a line, Anya, like a line in the sand of, of something you've, you're someone who talks to your kids a lot about this stuff, but is there mm-hmm. something where it's like, you're talking to your husband, you're in your grief late at night and you're feeling, you know, you're, you're in your feelings and you decide, you know, actually, I, I, I'm just not even gonna, I, I can't even address this yet with them. I mean, I think so. Absolutely. Right. Like it's, 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 it's emotional hygiene. Like you're not going to let your, your kids see you in a, in a place where you're so destroyed that you can't be there for them or you can't be responsive to their feelings. So certainly, uh, you know, someone who's my partner or even someone who's a friend and or a colleague in this work, I might share them with them like darker speculations about what happens to, you know, um, you know, is there going to be a rise of eco-fascism? What happens if Trump is elected again? Are there going to, mm-hmm. is there going to be, you know, are we going to have militarized borders even more than we have now? Is there going to be actually a decline in human population? So there's lots of specters of things that are worth debating that are not necessarily what you want to present to your kid as something that they need to or should be <laughs> engaged in thinking about. Um, but, you you know, you'd be surprised because the thing is that, um Kids can assimilate a lot of information that you wouldn't necessarily want them to, but they absolutely, if they have to, they will. And so mm-hmm. really the question becomes like, what what is it that they need to know about and need to think about? Um, and for me, that would include, you know, like I've always been very open to my kids about the like death itself, right? The fact that life ends and that we have to um, come to terms with that is something that's probably the hardest thing, I think, in some ways to deal with. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think this is a good place to kind of end this conversation. But Anya's newsletter is called The Golden Hour. And we will, of course, link to that in the show notes. But Anya, where else can listeners find you? Yeah, I'm a contributor uh, to Grist. And you can also follow the Climate Mental Health Network, which is where we're publishing resources for parents and engaging parents in focus groups to try to improve um, just the, the amount of resources that are out there to talk to your kids about climate emotions specifically. And listeners, we, of course, would love to hear more from you about climate change and how you're handling these tough conversations or honestly anything else you want to share with us. You can, of course, give us a call at 646-357-9318 or email us at slate.com. Anya, will you stick around with us for recommendations? Absolutely. All right, great. So we'll see you all back here in a minute. Okay, we are moving on to recommendations. And Jamila, we're going to start with you. 
Okay. Um, I am currently obsessed with floss picks. The little device you use to pick food out of your teeth. Mm -hmm. They're so much better than dental floss. I pulled like a whole chicken leg out of my mouth yesterday. <laughs> like I had to just <laughs> sit there and stare at it. Um, I found that a number of brands work well. I often go for what's on sale, but I really like Dentech. Uh, the Dentech Triple Clean Advanced Clean Picks. They're available at Target and Amazon, and you will be delighted and horrified at what you can pull out of your mouth right after dinner. <laughs> a whole, that, sound, that sounds very satisfying. It was a so whole, satisfying. Yes. It was so satisfying. <laughs> Zach, Zach, how about you? I didn't know until recently that you're supposed to clean your dishwasher. You're not supposed to, like, in addition to running your dishwasher, like, the filter gets gross. Um, and so you should be removing it. And uh, you can do, like, a baking soda cycle. Um, and it will make your dishwasher not gross like mine was. So dishwasher maintenance and, like, washing machine maintenance, I didn't, I hadn't thought about it. Um, I also find myself feeling very self-conscious talking about running the dishwasher in front of Anya, who I'm imagining is just like, you know, um, cleaning their dishes with uh, river water and stuff. But, um, <laughs> but if you do have a dishwasher like I do, you should clean it every once in a while. Um, I do have a dishwasher and dishwashers are great. They're much more efficient than washing your in a sink with hot water. Yeah. I'll just say, um, my recommendation is um, YouTube karaoke. So mm. every song on the every song in the karaoke universe has a YouTube video yes. that has a karaoke track, um, and apparently ten through twelve year olds love to do karaoke. This mm. is a nice. surprising discovery from our beach house this this year, and they will come up with the craziest recommendations. And we had an entire room full of people from six to seventy five doing Sweet Caroline. So I'll just I'll just leave that. You love to hear it. Yeah. That's Where amazing. do white people go to learn that song? <laughs> <laughs> it's like every time I hear it, everyone else already knows. Like, they know it. Backwards yeah. and forwards. Jamila. It's, 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 <laughs> it's coded into our DNA. They all know it. Even when the children busted out with it, I was like, what happened? Wow. When did this happen? <laughs> That's amazing. That's a very um, Japanese recommendation. We're very into the, the karaoke over here. That's what people yes. always want to go do. Amazing. I am recommending a very fun workbook called Spiroglyphics. And I actually bought this for the kids to do on the plane and then stuck it in a suitcase that went under the plane. So, whoops. Um, but I have busted it out because without our stuff, we are like in our, you know, just trying to make do with what, what we have with us. And I found this Spiroglyphics. And it is like, it's a workbook. And when you open it, it's just spirals. And you kind of color between the spirals and a picture form. I pulled one out to do while we were doing our music listening. And then next thing I knew, each of the kids had pulled one out. And we have this one called mm -hmm. City. So they're all landmarks from different cities and it's amazing you literally just color in between these little spirals and the lines get kind of thick and thin and next thing you know you have this beautiful picture cool. i did mine in like one color like the book said the kids went crazy and theirs are beautiful so um you can check these out there's all kinds of ones um but they're called spiroglyphics oh this looks really fun that's I awesome mean, it was like very meditative 
like I was just lost in the coloring. Uh, like I think if they talked to me, I wouldn't have heard them. It was great. It was really lovely. Uh, well, that's it for our show. Of course, subscribe, leave a rating and review, and we'd love for you to tell your friends. This episode of Mom and Dad Are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson and Maura Curry. Shasha Leonard is the voice of our listeners. Alicia Montgomery is VP of Slate Audio. For Zach Rosen and Jamila Lemieux, I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. Thanks for listening. <laughs>